Morning, Christ Church. Today's the, uh, the Kaylee, and um, so here's my recommendation. What you want to do is you want to be fully present for this service, and then you want to go have brunch somewhere, but don't eat too much, and then come right back for second brunch with us, with Chili and the Kaylee after the second service. It is such a fun time. The reason we have all these chairs in here is because instead of our normal chairs with kneelers, is we're going to transform this room. We're going to like flip it in about 10 minutes, bring in a bunch of tables banqueting style that run from one end of the room to the other. And um, we're going to have Irish music, dancing, uh, chili to sample. So come back for the Kaylee after the second service. Um, Some people aren't sure what Kaylee is about or what it means. It's a word from Gaelic. It's an Irish word that means party. So I thought I'd start today, given the Kaylee, and given our theme throughout Advent, where we're talking about being tenders of the garden, we're groaning with all creation, uh, waiting for the coming of the king and kingdom. I thought I'd go back to some of the Celtic Christian history. Who's ever heard of the Book of Kells? Craig, have you seen them? Craig did some studies, graduate studies in Ireland. Book of Kells are one of the really greatest treasures, cultural treasures of Ireland, um, it's an 8th century manuscript of the Bible, and the, the Celtic Christians, when they would copy the Bible, they would not just copy the text, they would make it a work of art. They would illuminate every page and all these incredible drawings, colorful drawings, illustrations, ornamentations, and sometimes just whimsy. <laughs> it had nothing to do with what was going on in the page or the meaning, but just expressing their delight. So let me show you a couple things. One of the things that's featured is animals. There's a lot of animals in the Celtic, uh, in the Book of Kells. So do we have a picture up here of the Book of Kells? It's got an image. The first one uh, is peacocks. There we go. Um, Peacocks carry this kind of Christian message within the Book of Kells. They're really beautiful birds that integrate into the decoration of most of the major pages in the manuscript. They often appear at the end of text lines, or they appear in really prime positions next to Christ, to represent Christ, next to images of Christ. And the reason is, they were thought to represent Christ's incorruptibility, or immortality, because of the ancient belief uh, that the peacock flesh does not decay. It's one of these legends. The flesh of the peacock doesn't decay, and so that was associated with the immortality, incorruptibility of Jesus. All right, do we have one with with the lions? Let's go to that one. All right, so lions, you see that on the left, it's looking down. Lions, for example, they appear in the book kind of exhaling this really colorful breath in the book of Kells. And this is connected to a belief at that time that lion cubs are born dead. And that following birth, the male lion would return after three days to breathe upon the cub and bring them to life. So that was the legend. There are parallels there, of course, between the lion cub and Jesus Christ, who, is thought, who was resurrected three days after his death. And so that association is made, and it's worked into the manuscript. So all you doodlers who don't just write words on the margins of your Bibles, you're in good company. Keep on doodling. Whatever it is that comes to mind, or whatever you're, however you're inspired as you are reading Scripture, Fill those margins up. Of course, of course, 
their Bible would have been kind of illuminated with the world that they knew, but also the being very close to creation and the animal kingdom and fauna, and, but also the world that they lived in in scriptures. And as they read through the scriptures, they would have encountered so many creatures. In these weeks, uh, we're looking at Advent from a cosmic perspective, waiting with a whole cosmos, waiting with all creation for the coming of God's kingdom, his shalom on earth. And one of the questions we're going to look at today is, what is our biblical responsibility to the rest of creation and why? And I'm going to do this today, uh, a kind of a, a pass-through of some of these topics. We're only going to be able to wade into the waters of this question, but I want to recommend for a deeper dive, if you're interested, a book by um, a father-son duo that have written a book about creation care. They're both New Testament scholars. Uh, the father's really world-class. His commentary on Romans is the uh, kind of premier commentary in English of the past several decades. His name's Douglas Moo. He was a professor at Trinity Evangelical Divinity School in Chicago. He's now at Wheaton College. And then his son is uh, a also a New Testament professor at Whitworth College. But um, they have this book. Let's go there. Creation Care. If you want to jot that down and you want to take a deeper dive, they have worked together on a biblical theology of the natural world. And uh, it's an excellent resource to just kind of dig into this topic a little bit more from a biblical perspective. But we're going to wade into those waters today. And then what I'm going to do after that is spend kind of the second half of this morning, getting more practical, looking at some of the causes and solutions of some of the problems, some of our problems of our day, and then even some of what's happening right here within our own congregation uh, to address this. So I mentioned how the Celtic Christians, you know, the the illuminations on on the pages were full of animals, not only because their world around them was filled with that, but the world of Scripture Do you know there are 110 plant names in the Bible? There are over 200 animal names in the Bible. And uh, it's interesting how the Bible organizes this and classifies. The the biblical taxonomy is a little bit different than ours. Our taxonomy of creatures has to do with their physical traits, like vertebrates and invertebrates, mammals, and so on. The biblical taxonomy has to do with the space they occupy in the cosmos, that interesting? Not so much their physical traits, but there are those that are way up high, those that are a little bit off the ground, those that are way down on the ground, and those that are under the waters of the sea. And literally, crawlies is kind of a, a literal translation. It's taking the word, uh, verb for crawl upon the earth, that, that crawl word, and turning it into a noun in the Hebrew. And so those are the, the crawlies that crawl on the ground. All creation... The whole cosmos is part of of the way this is depicted. Top to bottom sings God's praises. Psalm 19 says this, The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. Jesus says in the gospel, in fact, that if people are silent, the stones will cry out. There's this kind of animation that all creation sings God's praises. One Old Testament scholar points out that conservation work glorifies God. Here's how. If the inanimate and voiceless heavens declare the glory of God, if the inanimate 
and voiceless heavens declare the glory of God, how much more do all living things The degradation of the environment through loss of vegetation and animal life robs the cosmic choir of voices to praise Yahweh. Our reading today is is really just the reading from the lectionary. It's what on our schedule of scripture readings throughout the year, readings for every Sunday. This is today's Advent to lectionary reading from the Old Testament, Isaiah chapter 11. And it says this, a shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse. From his roots, a branch will bear fruit. The spirit of the Lord will rest on him. Who will be fruit from the tree of Jesse? Jesus. And the spirit of the Lord will rest on him. And when the long-awaited Messiah comes... What will his kingdom look like? That's what Isaiah is getting to. So he goes on in chapter 11, the prophet Isaiah, to describe part of what this kingdom will look like. That this Messiah, this long-awaited Messiah will bring. So he continues describing that kingdom this way. The wolf will lie down with the lamb. The leopard will live with the goat. The calf and the lion and the yearling together and a little child will lead them. The cow will feed with the bear. Their young will lie down together, and the lion will eat straw like the ox. The infant will play near the cobra's den, and the young child will put its hand into the viper's nest. They will neither harm nor destroy on all my holy mountain. For the earth for the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the Lord as the waters of the sea. In that day, the root of Jesse will stand as a banner for the people's. The nations will rally to him, and his resting place will be glorious. Creation will be restored in fullness. All things, all things will be redeemed. Without restoring the fullness of creation, the fullness of the curse is not removed. Do you get that? Without restoring the fullness of creation, the fullness of the curse is not removed. So the primary, we're going to go back and do just kind of a a couple, go back to the very beginning and some of the story that begins in Genesis that sets this up for us, this question of what is our responsibility to this king and kingdom and this restoring of the fullness that will come? We're going to go back to the very beginning and the primary cosmic relationships involve God, the world, and all life on earth. God, the world, I think of like the physical world and all life on earth. So look at it this way. This, is a, this triangle kind of helps illustrate that. From the beginning, God intended a harmonious, symbiotic relationship in which all three members of this triangle live in a covenantal relationship, this loving relationship with each other. God is the creator of the earth and all that is in it, all its fullness, every living thing. He's the creator. And he determines how the other two parts relate and function within this this relationship of the triangle. Humans were created, and you see that at the center. Humans were created to, to serve this primary relationship, that is God's covenantal relationship with the cosmos. Humans were created to serve within this framework. That's why you see humankind inside the triangle. Did you know the word Adama? It's the Hebrew word for land or ground, Adama. 
the name Adam really means being a being from the ground. So you might actually translate, if, we, if it didn't sound so weird, we could just, instead of calling him Adam, call him earthling. Because <laughs> that's essentially what the Hebrew is saying. It's taking the word for land and ground and saying that he came from dust we came and to dust we shall return. And this one who is made of the earth, Adam, is made then not just only from the stuff of the earth, but then the spirit of God is breathed and his image, the image of the living God marks this creature. And so there is a difference. There's something about this creature that, that bears this, this royal mark, this image of the living God within this creation, placed within the garden to be like God would be if God himself were in the garden. Do you get that? This is what it means to bear the image of God. And, and this comes from, uh, there, there were... I, examples in the nations around Israel of where this mentality, this kind of concept we've seen in some other literature, where if there is a king and the king rules some distant place, that the image of that king would be placed in these other places to represent the, the presence of the king. And so what, it, what God is saying here is that we're kind of like that, except we are the image. We are the presence of God in his realm. And so what that means is that we live in his realm, in this place, here on this earth, as earthlings, God breathed with the spirit of the living God, marked with his image, that we are to be like he would be if he himself were here. We are to do like he would do if he himself were living here upon the earth, walking about it like we are in this relationship of the triangle. We are royal gardeners, you might say, that God has placed into the garden to be his very presence and do what he would do like he would do it in the garden. So God creates the heavens and the earth, the whole cosmos, every living thing, the humans at the, as this kind of pinnacle of creation, and he says, be my royal gardeners. But then it unravels quickly, really quickly. From the sin of Adam and Eve to their son's murder of his brother, Cain and Abel, and that story, and on through the generations till we get to the flood when God returns the earth to its former chaos. But as he returns the earth to its former chaos, he preserves not just the children of Adam and Eve or the progeny of Adam and Eve, but the fullness of creation. So when we think about if we bear God's image and we are to live in this world as he would live in this world, be in this world as he would be in this world, do in this world what he would do in this world, what did he do in that moment? He preserved the progeny of Adam and Eve and the fullness of creation in the ark by bringing creatures, every living creature, onto the ark. And when the rain stops, the land emerges again, God renews this covenant with all creation. He gave the rainbow as a sign of that covenant. Now, we continue to serve this threefold relationship. 
in serving the world as God's deputies, you could say, or representatives, ambassadors, human beings must recognize that all of life is sacred, created by the living God. One scholar concludes with this observation, says, all life is sacred and all living things play significant roles in ensuring the vitality of the world. Evangelical responses must begin with a rediscovery of the world as God sees it and a rediscovery of humanity's divinely ordained role in it. So let's turn now to some of the the practical side of this. And as we, as we have focused already, as our reading in Isaiah has given us kind of the animal kingdom and, and what that will look like and how we saw things like the lion lie down with the lamb, um, let's look at some of what's happening with animal kingdom in our world. These are five reasons that species are endangered. And they're all, by the way, all five of the top five reasons, they're all human causes. Habitat loss and degradation, pollution and climate change, introduced species that are not native to a place. That's why there are laws about how you can travel or can't travel around the world with animals. One example, the introduction of the brown tree snake in Guam led to the elimination of native birds, all native birds on the island, including some that were only found on that island. Disease, and then over-exploitation, and usually that's the, the harvesting or hunting over-exploitation, like almost happened to the buffalo here in the United States in the 19th century. You know, it was estimated that at one time there were around 50 million, 50 million buffalo that roamed the plains of the United States. By 1881, there were 541. So those kinds of stories of the over-exploitation, all of these are reasons that it doesn't look like the picture Isaiah painted when it comes to our life on this earth and the human impact. That's because we're not living like God's image on this earth. So we look to Isaiah 11 and we see the gap. So what can be done about this loss of of biodiversity. Here are a few strategies. I'm going to let's put these up and I'm going to leave them up there for you to look at while I give you some examples of what people are doing. I'm not going to read through every one of them, but you'll just kind of notice that uh, one, three, and five are more uh, like private concerns and two and four are more public concerns, uh, things that, that um, where governments can help. Sometimes when we're tackling the problems of the world, we get fatigued from hearing all the gloom and doom stories. Anybody feel that? Just begin to feel a little bit cynical or um, like there is no hope. We need hope because there are hopeful stories. We need to hear stories of how Christians are faithful in bearing God's image in this world today, meeting the challenges, representing Christ in their life and, and in their vocation. I know of a few examples represented right here in our congregation, and I want to share some of that with you. People that are proactively, in fact, managing land that has been in their family for some generations. I've asked their permission if I could share a little bit about their place and their vocation and calling. Uh, Many of you know, first of all, Eric Stumberg. Uh, He's a longtime 
member here at the church, very involved, and, and many of you know him if you've been here very long. He and his siblings are the third generation to care for land uh, in the hill country. Eric's father, Lewis, was a really avid outdoorsman and a naturalist and conservationist. And Eric and his family carry on that love of creation. Once used for cattle, the land, which is called Patio Ranch, it's in the process of restoration to its natural state. Vast kind of like meadows and parts of this land. It's filling up with natural grasses and plants that, that once filled the meadows of the Edwards Plateau and that part of the hill country. Patio Ranch is also doing number five up there, directly managing captive populations in ways that reduce extinction threats. They've got a breeding program with some exotic species that are endangered in their natural habitats. So they're preserving some of these species. Being a steward, this idea of stewardship, of representing God, being as God would be, doing what God would do, bearing his image in this particular place that they have been given responsibility as a family. Being a steward is a key concept for Eric and his family. I've heard him talk about it many times, to be an image bearer that tries to care for God's creation like God would. One really uh, beautiful example, another incredible example, the same is true of another one of our parishioners, parishioners Vera Bowen and her family. And um, let's go to the next slide. Uh, this is a, a screenshot of the homepage, and you can go check that out yourself and uh, roam around a little bit. Um, she and her family are the fourth generation to be caretakers of Shield Ranch, which is located just outside of Austin. If you went out kind of to the Bee Caves area and then out towards Hamilton Pool, anybody ever been to Hamilton Pool, it's out towards Hamilton Pool, just on the edge of Austin. Throughout its history, it went from being wild lands to being cattle ranch and now is working its way back to being an incredible refuge for all kinds of creatures and plants, grasses, birds, that ecosystem being restored. Barton Creek, in fact, runs right through it, and so it's a really important uh, watershed area for Barton Creek, which many of us enjoy here in the more urban uh, part of Barton Creek in Austin. Vera and her family's foundation, uh, part of what they're doing is rewilding the land, and I love that. And then uh, Vera's over here this morning, and I see some of her family. Good morning. And they're rewilding uh, the, these really stretches, as the eye, you know, where the eye just looks out, grasses that are, are, are and, and plants, that, uh, birds that are hard to find or hard to see if you just go kind of just to anywhere uh, in central Texas. But there's this refuge, this little pocket that's a refuge in the middle of, of a very highly populated area in central Texas in which they are thriving. Their mission is this, to restore the land through the practice of land stewardship, to protect the land and its resources through advocacy and engagement in regional issues, to facilitate research and education, and then to offer an array of educational programs and nature immersion experiences. They have people come out um, of all ages, but really have a focus on kids and even particularly kids who might not have opportunities to get out into creation, kids that might be in, from at-risk communities or uh, would not really have much of a chance to do anything like this, and they bring them out there and give them a, 
a glimpse of the glory of God through his creation. Vera's invited us, in fact, us as in Christ Church, um, to come out for a firsthand educational immersion kind of experience. So keep your ears open for uh, a group visit that we, that we might put together sometime in the new year. Shield Ranch, of the, let's go back to that last slide that has strategies, is doing uh, at least one, three, and five of all of those strategies. And then lastly, one more exemplar. And these are ways, right here in Christchurch, um, stories of people actually making a difference with, with the place God has put them and, and what God has given them. One of our prisoners, Mark Purcell, is the USA director for an international Christian conservation organization called Arasha. And uh, I've mentioned Arasha before, and you might know Mark, and I've mentioned his role with Arasha before. And my wife, Christine, is also involved, and she's now on the international board for Arasha. And they're working in all five areas that were up there before, um, uh, all these arenas of biodiversity preservation, and even beyond those five arenas. Um, they have incredible projects, global projects all over the world, and you can also go on their website, A, space, and then Rasha is R-O-C-H-A, and see some of their work. Um, they, also, they do things like global big conservation programs. They even do things like help Christ Church move into its property. So when we moved into this property, we worked with Arasha and, and had someone from them come out and do an audit of our property. And they told us what invasive species we have on this property that sends out seeds throughout the neighborhood, not only on our property, that then crowds out the more native species. We removed all those native species from our property, and then they advised us on the kind of things that we ought to plant here. So as you walk around the landscaping and see this, it's very intentional. Things that are uh, native do well in this zone, but also attract creatures uh, that pollinators um, and insects and little, a little refuge of habitat in the heart of the city as well. That was our hope, and Arasha helped us with that. So we have incredible exemplars right here of people who are living out their call in the arena where God has placed them to be tenders of the garden, his royal gardeners. So what does this mean for us as disciples of Jesus? I'm going to close with just kind of a few. Here are some different ways that we can respond to this. Um, one, we can seek obedience ourselves as image bearers placed in God's garden, wherever he's put us. And that can be the little tiny plot of land that we might have some kind of uh, ability to do something with, whether we rent or own, right there in our own backyard, literally. Uh, we can repent. You know, our gospel reading today was John the Baptist announcing the coming of Jesus, and the first words in our gospel reading were John's announcements, repent for the kingdom of heaven has come. And there are ways that as we look around what's, uh, what is happening around the earth, it's often the poor who suffer most from bad water or bad air. Um, there are ways that our choices affect each other, not only in this room, but around the world. And so there is a place for a kind of corporate, corporate acts of confession and repentance. We can think about whatever small patch of earth we have. We can consider the public policy angle in ways that there's maybe a way to get involved with creation care. We can seek the praise of God's glory as we allow for all God's creation, the whole cosmos and the 
flying creatures of the sky and the big land animals and the crawlies that crawl on the ground. We can seek the praise of God's glory as we allow for all God's creation to lift its voice and join the chorus for the praise of our Creator's glory. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the ways that um, we get a glimpse of you. We thank you that you, in all of this, in all of your beauty, in all of creation, that you have placed us here with this incredible responsibility. Lord, may we lead and serve in relation to the created world like you lead and serve. And the way that you lead is not to exert your power, but to lay down your life. So, Lord, would you show us ways that we might have that same approach, a servant-hearted, laying down our life, sacrificial approach, that we might represent you well here upon your earth. Your name we pray. Amen.